and welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us today. I, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself, but um, this is going to be an important discussion. I think something that we can all learn from in my research for today. I've been so excited about having Amanda Tyler on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. For sure. So my show is unique in its first question. We usually ask the same first question to everybody who we bring on the show. Um, and basically, we want our guests to walk us through the arc of their careers. And you've had a career in law, public policy, and nonprofit leadership, including your current role as executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, or BJC. Walk us through the arc of your career since you moved to Washington from Austin, and why have you chosen religious liberty as your vocation and your advocation? I love this question. I love that you frame it as vocation because that's very much how I see my career and my current calling to my job at BJC. I think the arc of my career, uh, the lesson to be learned is uh, have some good internships <laughs> because <laughs> I did. <laughs> I interned um, all the way back in high school when I was uh in Austin with my local member of Congress, uh, Representative Lloyd Doggett, uh, who is still in Congress. Um, and it was, uh, I, I interned in high school and in college with him and then ended up uh, serving as his district director and his mm. Ways and Means Council um, later in my career. Um, and so I came back to that job. But also when I was in college at Georgetown University, I interned at uh, the organization that I lead now, BJC. And it was both my interest in politics and government and law that interested me at BJC, but also my religion and my religious identity as a Baptist Christian. So BJC is an 86-year-old education and advocacy organization that advocates for everyone's religious freedom. And we think the best way to protect everyone's religious freedom is to protect the separation of church and state um, because the institutions of religion and government have unique spheres and it the government is uniquely ill-qualified in matters of religion. We think that religion flourishes best when it is left free from government control uh, and that that helps our religiously pluralistic society all be free, people to practice any religion that um, they see fit to practice or to choose not to practice. And so this um, animating issue and mission has been something that has caught my attention for really my entire career since I was a college student. So I interned here at BJC. I worked here as a legal assistant uh, before I went to law school, but I stayed connected with the organization. Uh, I was on the board of the organization when I was working for Congressman Doggett. And when my predecessor announced his retirement in 2015, I decided that I would um, put my hat in the ring for uh, to succeed him. And I was called to this job in September of 2016 and uh, started leading the organization in January 2017. I'm specific about those dates because I was actually called to this job before the 2016 election, when I think if we can remember back, we a lot of people didn't think that Trump would win that election. <laughs> and then by the time I took over, I, I came in just a few weeks before Trump was inaugurated. And so my time... Yeah 
leading BJC um, since January 2017 is not exactly what I anticipated it might be when I when I took the job, and yet it has been incredibly fulfilling to be leading the organization in this important mission at a time when religious freedom principles um, have really been contested, um, and we've had some urgent threats to religious liberty over the past nearly six that's, years. That's what I wanted to talk about just briefly. I mean, yeah. this moment that we're in, talk about the necessity of BJC during this time period that we're in today. Yeah. Well, I have said that the single biggest threat to religious freedom in America today is this rise of an ideology called Christian nationalism or white mm-hmm. Christian nationalism. It's a perfect bridge in our discussion. You must do this often. That's where we're going. <laughs> well, I, I just I, I think that that ideology really helps us understand these threats that we've been seeing over the past several years when foundational principles of religious freedom, this idea that our belonging in American society will never be conditioned on what we believe or how we worship or how we identify religiously, that foundational principle is threatened in so many ways and in um, you know everyday ways and then also in really uh, terrible, deadly ways as well. I mean, we can think in our recent memory of attacks on houses of worship, um, Mother Emanuel AME Church, of course. Um, also, we just um, passed the four-year mark of the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, which remains the deadliest attack on Jews in America ever. Um, so we know that just even the freedom to worship free of violence is um, not fully protected right now in the United States nor are other foundational ideas of what it means to to have religious freedom, to not have the government be interfering in our practice, um, and to have equal citizenship regardless of religion. So all of those issues, I think, can we can try to understand them through this lens of Christian nationalism and how that has Define it for me, though. Absolutely, we got to start there. Yeah, I talk about this all the time on TV, but you're you're way more equipped than I ever am to talk about this. So, define what white Christian nationalism is. Yeah. So, white Christian nationalism is a political ideology and a cultural framework that tries to merge American and Christian identities. It demands a privileged place for Christianity in American law and government. And it suggests that to be a true American, one has to be a Christian and more specifically a white Christian uh, that espouses certain political views. The white part of white Christian nationalism acknowledges that Christian nationalism often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. Uh, and it's an ideology that has been pervasive um, in American society and persistent. It's not new that the foundations of this can go back centuries, really, to even before the founding of the country. But in recent years, we've seen more and more instances of Christian nationalism, more and more violent instances. And um, even within, we've been studying this really intently at BJC for more than three years. Um, That's what I want to, let's, let's, let's piggyback on that real quick, because I'm a history major, particularly African-American studies major. And 
you do know, and as you articulated, this isn't something new. I mean, we had the terror of the Christian organization known as the Ku Klux Klan, right? So this isn't new. But is there anything new that sticks out to you about this variant? And I just call it that because it's kind of like a plague. But this variant of white Christian nationalism, is there anything that's changed? Or maybe the usage of social media or technology, et cetera? Well, I think that's part of it. I do think that the 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 way that it's spreading um, and the misinformation associated with it uh, is spreading at, at much greater speed because of social media. Um, it's able to get larger and larger networks. Um, also, the rise of misinformation and disinformation in general, and how. Christian nationalism is linked to election lies and uh, lies about COVID, for instance, and how it can metastasize onto these other misinformation campaigns. That is something that's particularly virulent. Uh, I think what's also somewhat new, I mean, I think I'm sure if you know, we could have a historical look and see how other American presidents have used Christian nationalism to uh gather their forces and but i i think that trump was particularly adept at marshalling christian nationalism for his political aims and we saw that you know one thing that is new of course is what we saw on january 6th and the insurrection and how christian nationalism worked to unify and bolster the attack on the on the capitol uh, BJC worked on a report with Freedom From Religion Foundation that is the most comprehensive accounting to date of how Christian nationalism helped influence and drive the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. And so I, I think that shows kind of how Christian nationalism is an urgent threat to American democracy. That's certainly a new um, piece of this. And what's even more recent is in the last few months, how American politicians, some of them have been embracing Christian nationalism as a as a label. Marjorie Taylor Greene claiming to be a proud Christian nationalist and then quickly producing and selling T-shirts for others to, to say the same thing. And the fact that we haven't had a strong response from mainstream Republicans to denounce that idea means that uh, we are, I believe, at a risk of having this ideology be normalized. Um, you're you're right to point out we have had other instances, prominent instances of Christian nationalism in the past. The Klan uh, was not a fringe organization in the early 20th century. It was an organization that had millions of followers. So we we know from history the power of Christian nationalism and, and what that does when combined with white supremacy um, for racial subjugation. And uh, we should learn those lessons from history and also stay awake to this new strand of Christian nationalism that's spreading right now. Let me ask a stupid question, if you don't mind. You know, I want to talk about how they envelop this in Christianity, because do you, is it that they're active, actually practicing Christianity at all? Um when there are other Christians who don't necessarily like you or I believe the same things that they do, how do they not see the racist undertones and just acknowledge that they're using Christianity as a pretext? Mm -hmm. It's not at all a dumb question. I mean, I think this is what makes Christian nationalism uh, so virulent and hard to it's deal like with. It's oxymoron, right? Yeah. Well, it, they, I, I believe so. Yes. Because 
Christian nationalism is directly against the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of love. And instead, it replaces the gospel of love with a false idol of power. But in doing so, it uses the symbols of Christianity, biblical texts, images of Jesus, things like the Christian flag. So it it is confusing because it uses all of these Christian symbols to prop up its power ideology. And as far as what those who are who most embrace Christian nationalism, if, as far as what they believe in their hearts, I can't speak to that. I, I, you know, I think yeah. that, you know, there there are sociological studies that show that not all of these people go to church, not all of them even claim to be Christian, although many of them do both claim to be Christian and go to church. So how they rec- reconcile their theology, their Christian practice with Christian nationalism is a question that's that's difficult for me to understand from the outside. And that was one of the reasons and one that we at BJC helped launch Uh, an initiative called Christians Against Christian Nationalism, uh, a resource that is for Christians in Christian community to examine for themselves how Christian nationalism has possibly impacted their walk with Jesus and their practice of Christianity, and to point out how Christian nationalism directly conflicts with not only America's constitutional protections for religious freedom, but also with the Christian religion. And so I I am not old by any stretch, but I'm 38 and I've been involved in politics for two decades now. And I don't recall ever seeing a point where this white Christian nationalism was so enveloped within and became a fabric of the Republican Party. What, is it all because of Trump? What has caused that drift towards that being a just steady prong in the politics of Republicans in the country? Well, I do, I do think that Trump has a lot to do with it, as, as do the other parts of the political system that have led to more and more extreme candidates from both parties or more and more polarized candidates from both parties things like gerrymandering and that have that result in primaries that come with the people who can be um, either the most left or the most right. And so that has driven these primary elections to uh, for the Republican Party to be in the recent years, who can be the Trumpiest, who can sound most like Trump. And because Trump has used Christian nationalism and so much of his rhetoric, I think we're seeing that replicated in uh, certainly in in statewide races and races for Congress, but also in local races as well. Um, This this language of faith and family and nation that all of that, you you know, you you see these key words repeated in campaigns all over the country. Those are appeals to this Christian nationalism ideology, this idea, this false idea that to be a true American, one has to profess a belief in God, and um, that is that is dangerous to the political political discourse, absolutely, and and dangerous because it does, in the hands of violent extremists, lead to deadly violence. But it's also dangerous when those people win office, 
and then and are running on a platform of putting Judeo-Christian laws, passing Judeo-Christian laws, which really sounds like a theocracy. These are um, these are things that violate the American constitutional promise of religious freedom for all. And, and we have some some new polling that's come out that Politico released recently that says exactly what what you're saying, how Christian nationalism has really um, impacted the Republican Party. And that polling, a majority of Republican respondents support declaring the United States a Christian nation. In that same poll, a majority of those same Republican respondents know that that's unconstitutional. So they're willing to violate the Constitution in order to promote Christian nationalism. That that is uh, something that we should all be concerned about in our in our electoral discourse. So what you're saying is there are politicians and voters who are human contradictions. I would have never, ever, ever guessed that. <laughs> Can you talk to me about the, where are you seeing this? I mean, the scholarly research, I think I have my ideas, but you do this for a living. Tell me where you're seeing um, this type of white Christian nationalism pop up. What regions of the country, what are some of the profiles thereof? What can you tell us about this movement from a very demographic perspective? Yeah, and I rely pretty heavily on uh, scholarship from Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry, who wrote a book in 2020 called Taking America Back for God, which I highly recommend as a, a wonderful source and primer on Christian nationalism, very accessible. And they have done extensive research on this issue for many years, and their findings show that Christian nationalism is a nationwide problem. You know, there are certainly areas of the country where they see higher instances of Christian nationalism, but it's a mistake to say that this is uh, restricted to just one area of the country. Restricted People will to- just put it in a, they will just put it in Alabama and say it's just a Southern thing when truly it's not. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or in my home state of Texas, right? They'll say yeah, it's, yeah, this is just, yeah. this is just Texas. This is just, but, but it's not, it's, it's all over the country. And that's because it's an ideology that has permeated the American experience um, for so many years. And, and so it's, it's kind of been there latent for all this time and then can be exploited by different people at different times. So it's something that all Americans need to take very seriously. It's also not limited. We've been talking about the Republican Party and how it's gaining an instant, but it's this is something Democrats um, yeah. can be impacted by Christian nationalism. All ethnic and racial groups can be impacted yeah. by Christian nationalism. Yeah. So you're right. And and all Christian denomination, all religions, but also all it's Christian across, denominations. It's, it's across, yeah, it's across. Let yeah. me just ask you a couple more questions. Sure. I mean, I feel like at its most extreme, as I've seen it, I was friends with Clemente Pinckney. We saw it at Mother Emanuel. This manifests itself in violence and domestic terror. And I guess my question is, what's the federal government's role in getting after this issue? And are there concerns about religious liberty and the First Amendment associated with the kind of law enforcement, I guess, activity that needs to be happening around this issue? My, my, my question is, how do we strike the balance of stamping out the violence and domestic terror without trampling upon religious freedom? Mm. It's an excellent question. I mean, I do think we need to think about violence that's inspired by Christian nationalism as hate crimes, right? So the FBI and and the federal government certainly do have jurisdiction over that and, and need to be studying Christian nationalism as they study other 
white supremacist groups and, and other ideologies that are driving this kind of horrific violence. Um, I, you know, I when we think about the autonomy, I, I think your I think your question about religious freedom is getting at this idea of the autonomy of the church and and knowing that these are places that um, we say are free from government control. I mean, yeah, you can't have people outside surveilling the Southern Baptist Convention, right? But how do you still how do you still stamp this out, knowing that it's a growing issue? That because when it when the violence happens, it's too late. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I, you know, I, I think all all kinds of of profiling for you know, just as we've seen, you know, people who have wanted to to profile, for instance, uh, Muslim organizations. That's highly problematic because it's not your religious identity is not something that is leads you to violence, right? But it's this it's this ideology of Christian nationalism which can lead to violence, and so. It, it needs to be done in a in a thoughtful way that concentrates on the ideology and not on religious identity. Those are those are two distinct things. And that's why I think it's always important to distinguish how Christian nationalism is not the same as Christianity. We understand that some Christian communities have been largely impacted by Christian nationalism, but they're not the same thing. Um, and so I, I do think working with um, experts at um, a de-escalation and it, um, you know, really trying to de-radicalization, those, those kinds of experts would be that that's, those are the kinds of resources that the government can be investing in when it comes to Christian nationalism. I think another thing that the government can do, the January 6th committee has the information that we've shared and put out about Christian nationalism and the insurrection itself. And I hope that the committee will, um, include that in their investigation to really understand how Christian nationalism worked uh, on that attack. And that might help provide other resources for the federal government to do additional investigations in their work that can prevent similar things from happening in the future. I guess the larger question and one of my final questions for you is what's the role um, of men and women of faith in this country and pushing back against white Christian nationalism? Yeah, I think I think it is absolutely imperative that everyone works to dismantle Christian nationalism, but that there is a particular responsibility on those of us who claim Christianity to counter Christian nationalism. And, and that's because there is this red herring that some people will throw out that to um, to call out or fight against Christian nationalism is to be against Christianity. And nothing can be further from the truth um, because those of us who are Christians who are fighting Christian nationalism are doing it not just because of our, our of being patriotic Americans who care about the Constitution, but also because we're faithful Christians and we're concerned about how Christian nationalism distorts our faith and leads us away from a faithful walk with Jesus. So I think that the witness of those of us who are Christians who are concerned about Christian nationalism can be particularly powerful and effective in this larger fight against Christian nationalism. One of our core principles at ChristiansAgainstChristianNationalism.org is people of all faiths and none have the right and responsibility <laughs> to engage constructively in the public square. 
this is our opportunity as people of faith to engage constructively in the public square and to draw attention to and concern about Christian nationalism. I mean, this is a heavy episode. I've learned a lot preparing for it, but how can people follow you on social media? And even more importantly, how can people support the work that you do at BJC? Oh, thank you. Um, yes, please follow me on social media at Amanda Tyler BJC, and you can follow BJC at BJC on the Hill. You can learn a lot more um, about BJC's work and support our work at bjconline.org. And learn so much more about our campaign at christiansagainstchristiannationalism.org, where you can sign a public statement as a Christian against Christian nationalism, but more importantly, get um, really valuable free-to-access resources that can be used in your communities to better understand Christian nationalism so you're equipped to fight against it. Well, I love the work that you're doing, and it's amazing. We have to fight for our democracy in all different facets, and everybody's on the same team here, this team of justice and righteousness. So thank you for all you do, and thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Oh, thanks, Bakari. Great to be with you. I'll tell you this gonna be a